0: welcome to the laurie lawrence podcast stuff the silver we're going for gold this podcast came about by me wanting to value add to my online swim teacher and coaching platform worldwideswimschool.com it was simply an idea that i'd read and share chapters of the two books that i'd written about my eight olympic games adventures and When I run out of chapters, I'd interview some of the great sportsmen and sportswomen that I'd encountered over the 50 years of my international coaching career. Tell your friends, if it helps one person expand their lives a little or achieve their dreams, it will have served the purpose. If it doesn't do this, try at least to remember, the harder you work, the harder it is to surrender. This one is entitled, Barcelona Memories. Barcelona 1992 has so many memories for me. The smallest trigger can bring them back as they dance through my subconscious. They are not only memories of triumph and victory, but also of heartaches. And of the sight and sound of Olympic dreams being shattered. I see Lisa Ondiecki's dreams disintegrate as she fails to complete the marathon, despite having the most gruelling preparation she had ever undertaken. Lisa had interspersed training at altitude in Colorado with desert runs to prepare her for the oppressive heat and humidity of Barcelona. But it still went wrong. I picture again the great frustration of the global competitor and world champion Sergey Bubka, born in the Ukraine, trained in Germany and paid by a US company, eliminated from the pole vault as he fails to clear his first three attempts at a height he laughs at in training. Closer to home, I live against the heartache, the anguish and the frustration as my own swimmer, Julie Macdonald fails, and I still wake up at nights crying to myself, why, why, why? But above all these are visions of success, of Vitali Sherbo, the Russian gymnast, six gold, or of the tiny Chinese elf, Lu Li, who became airborne on the uneven parallels to score the perfect ten. A trend first started by Nadia Komunich at Montreal in 1976. There are wonderful memories of Bangolis becoming a golden pond for Australia, and especially of the awesome foursome. The double scullers, too, Peter Anthony and Stephen Hawkins. What a team! The enduring Peter Anthony first represented Australia in 1977 when his current Olympic partner was only six years old, just starting school. It was Peter, who after becoming World Lightweight Single Skulls Champion in 1987, was told, retire at the top, because he wouldn't be able to cut it in an Olympic competition with the big boys, the heavyweights. But, like most dreamers, Peter Anthony refused to bow to the so-called experts. A fifth in soul only fanned the fires that raged within, and Antony pressed on, chasing his golden dream. Fortuitously, he enlisted the services of another lightweight sculler, a 21-year-old kid from Tassie, Stephen Hawkins. Hawkins was every bit as single-minded as the grand old man of rowing, Peter Anthony. They trained their guts out. They gave 15 kilos per man to their opposition and one gold for Australia against all odds. Why? Because they made a personal commitment to excellence. A commitment to themselves to give their all to achieve the goal they set. Olympic gold. They would do this Whatever the price that had to be paid. In layman's terms, they were prepared to pay the price. So outstanding was their achievement that for me, the sight of their exhausted bodies lying in the boat is an enduring vision. A lightweight crew winning heavyweight gold. There are tears of a different emotion as I remember the marathon. The oppressive heat and humidity in Barcelona and that final four-kilometre climb to the top of Mount Dueck made it undoubtedly the cruelest marathon in Olympic history. It was no surprise that a record 23 competitors failed to complete the course, including the 1988 Olympic champion, the Italian Bordin. Huang Huang Cho. The winner was carried out on a stretcher. Cucci Morichetti, the silver medalist, was wheeled from the stadium in a wheelchair. Our own Robert Di Costella left in a wheelchair as well. Dick's severely blistered feet oozed blood which soaked his running shoes. In agony, he was wheeled to an emergency medical area where doctor Brian Sando, chief medical officer, put him on a saline drip for 40 minutes and refused the press access. Dr Sando made the succinct observation that this is not a healthy pursuit when the first three place getters are carted off in wheelchairs. The host nation must look at the timing of this event in future so that we don't get the result achieved by the first ever marathon champion on the plains of Greece, death. The crowded memories of Barcelona are priceless. For me, it begins with 370 Australians from all ranks of life who were called together in Canberra or Frankfurt to receive their precious Australian Olympic team uniforms. Very few of the 370 actually know each other. How do you weld such a group together as a team, I wonder? Slowly, over a period of two to three days, measurements are taken. People meet in lifts, lobbies, the dining areas, and then... There is a team dinner party in Frankfurt, a chance to mix and socialise. An Australian rock singer, Juliet Daniels, belts out a medley of rock favourites and finishes with, I still call Australia home. Members of the awesome foursome rise in the dimly lit room waving lighted candles in time to this Aussie anthem. And, before you know it, An entire Australian Olympic team is on its feet, singing and swaying, wavering the flickering candles. It is a striking symbol of unification, a welding of people from all walks of life together for a common purpose, a common goal. Spanish gold. Herb Elliott Never beaten over 1,500 metres and a man whose time on the track in Rome 30 years earlier would have been good enough for Barcelona gold in the 1,500. Dawn Fraser, Olympic 100 metre freestyle champion at three successive Olympic Games. A feat, never likely to be repeated in the pool. Breaker of 39 world records and holder of the 100 metres world record for an unbelievable 14 years. Her world record was two seconds faster than the time Jan Henny swam to win gold in Mexico 1968 when Dawn was under suspension. Could Dawn have won an elusive fourth gold medal? These two living legends move around among the young athletes dispensing positive vibes and encouragement. What a coup to have them there in Germany at our last-minute party before departing for Barcelona. The night is building now. The spirit of Australia is starting to ignite. Being a bloke who can't resist a good party and, like all the rest, not wishing the party to end, I jump up on stage and start the Australian classic There was a man from Ironbark who struck the Sydney town. He wandered over street and park, he wandered up and down, he loitered here, he loitered there, till he was wont to drop, until at last, in sheer despair, he sought a barber shop. Well, away I went. And after my recitation, I throw out the challenge Can any of you bastards out there do better? Equestrian Wayne Roycroft leaps to his feet and screams you left out the last two verses I stand mortified in the twinkling of an eye the rowing eight are on stage performing they are followed by the hockey team and then the ollie roos who enlist the services of the great dawn fraser whom they serenade finally happily joyously Three hundred and seventy Australians from all walks of life are welded together that night as a team. We finish the evening with a rousing rendition of Waltzing Matilda. Then it's on to Spain, on to Barcelona, on to the Olympic Games, where dreams were going to be realised and dreams were going to be dashed. We were on our way. When you can create this type of team atmosphere, out of this matrix will come your individual champions your Debbie Flintoff Kings your Duncan Armstrongs plus the others Kathy Watt Kieran Perkins the awesome foursome our equestrian heroes Matt Ryan Andrew Hoy David Green Gillian Ralton double scullers Peter Anthony and Stephen Hawkins and kayak paddler Clint Robinson. All national treasures. What a haul of gold medals. Just re-running their feats on the video brings on goosebumps for me. These champions gave my kids and yours dreams of the future. People like Catherine Ann Watt set up for a whole generation of Australians something to shoot for. A reason to search. To fight to strive for excellence at a time when the country is economically on its hands and knees. The achievement of these champions can provide an inspiration for people to work and persist at a job no matter how arduous, menial or boring. The $64 question though is how do they do it? How do they achieve what they achieve? The answer lies in the word professionalism. They have taken charge of their lives. They have worked and planned over long periods of time. Now, by their achievements, they have become household names. This is not the professionalism in the sense of the US basketball's dream team, the members of which collectively earn over $140 million a year. These elite of the elite among athletes who choose to stay in a luxury air-conditioned $1,000 a night hotel in Barcelona rather than settle in the allocated six-man unit taking their food at a cafeteria pumping out 50,000 meals a day No. The professionalism of Australia's champions is in the way they pay meticulous attention to detail. They are prepared to pay the price. They do things their competitors don't. They consistently take the tough option. They are relentless in their quest for perfection. They persist. They never compromise workouts. They don't compromise quality. They don't put off things until tomorrow. They don't procrastinate. They do it today. And they possess that uncanny ability to remain totally focused when all around them are being sidetracked. It is the blend of these winning qualities that enables the champions to keep their cool at Olympic Games where parties rage all night, every night, and where many athletes are swept away in the pageantry, the excitement, the glamour and the discos. The professionals rise above it all, maintaining their focus and continuing to perform at optimum levels while others around them may falter. Kieran Perkins not only typified this professional approach, but was able to withstand a tremendous amount of pressure, which intensified as the Olympic competition progressed. Pressure was brought heavily from two sources. Firstly, the media, as he had broken five world records in the six-month period leading up to the Olympic Games. Two of them, the 400 freestyle and the 1,500 metres freestyle at our Olympic trials. Expectations were high, and the press, both electronic and print, let Perkins and his coach John Carew and the Australian public know they expected gold. Headlines blared, Kieran, our best chance for gold. Externally, he handled the pressure like a seasoned campaigner, but internally the gold was like a hangman's noose. As the competition progressed, the pressure intensified. World record holder after world record holder was beaten in stunning Olympic reversals. The great Matt Biondi, beaten Tom Yeager. beaten. Anita Knoll, beaten. Norbert Rosa, Jeff Rouse, Jenny Thompson. All world record holders beaten, finally. Kieran Perkins, world record holder for the 400 meters freestyle, beaten by an unknown Russian, Eugenie Sadovy, who, when the Russian tanks invaded his Baltic city, took up his bed and resided at the pool to pursue his Olympic dream. The word was out. This was not a good meet for world record holders and the pressure intensified on Kieran. It wasn't until the last day of the swimming that he had a chance to release the albatross that hung heavily around his neck. On the final swimming night, extra busloads of Aussies arrived at the pool to see Kieran and Glenn Hausman take on the giant German Jorg Hoffmann, the arrogant European who dismissed Glenn's outstretched hands at the world championships with a simple... I am the world champion, and you are nothing. And he brushed Houseman's hand aside. Houseman now lives to fight another day. And expectant Aussies crowded into the stands, and I started them singing, waltzing Matilda. They were in good voice, and soon little pockets of Aussies scattered through the Olympic swimming stadium joined in. Some waved Australian or boxing kangaroo flags to show their patriotism. The atmosphere was electric as the announcer heralded the finalists in the men's fifteen hundred metres freestyle, Lane Three, Glen Clifford Houseman. We cheered ourselves hoarse. Lane Four, Kieran John Perkins, our cheering almost drowned out the announcer. Lane 5, Jorg Hoffman. This announcement was met with stony silence in the Australian camp. Perkins led from the starter's gun. He was the ringmaster, always in control. He'd worked long hours for many years for this prize, and with his goal in reach, he would not be denied. His task was difficult, but he realised, as Albert Einstein did, that in the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. And he seized the moment. With 400 metres to go, Kieran Perkins got a standing ovation from the world as he relentlessly, remorselessly attacked and demolished his opponents and his own world record. With Kieran's victory assured, I was interested in Glenn Houseman's performance. We wanted the Australian Quinilla. If Glenn could beat Hoffman, revenge would be sweet. I raced to the pool area, took off my tracksuit and waved it at Glenn. He didn't see me, but I felt pretty good about it anyway. Glenn's victory over Hoffman for the silver medal was sweet and Glen was ecstatic. He was not the Olympic champion, but his time would have won every other 1500 metre swim in Olympic history. The competitive spirit that existed between him and Kieran lifted them both to new heights. Kieran's joy and relief were summed up in his first TV interview immediately after the race. I was expecting both Glenn and Yorg to come home very strong in the last 500 metres, so I knew I had to get out there, I had to get the lead, so that I could hold them off. I'm so real happy, Kieran told a rapturous audience of millions. The interviewer. What sort of feeling was it in the pool as you could hear the crowd outside here screaming and yelling? Asked the interviewer. Oh, it was incredible. I could hear the crowd cheering for me. It was just an amazing feeling. I mean, I, I mean, after 500 metres, I knew I'd won it. Once I got two body lengths in front, I knew there was no one in the world who could possibly overtake me. And I definitely wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't let them anyway. Glenn Clifford Houseman. Thank you. Kieran John Perkins, thank you. Two warriors of Australian swimming that lifted us to new heights. Kieran, thanks for going to the next Olympics and another gold. But then, the third Olympics, a young warrior named Grant Hackett chased you down. Competition brings out the best in people because without great competition, there are no great competitors. Just remember Albert Einstein's words. In the midst of difficulty, there is opportunity. So all you young people out there, strive hard, set your goals high, and chase them like a bull terrier. Good luck, onwards and upwards. Thank you for listening to this latest episode of Stuff the Silver. We're going for gold. To stay up to date with all episodes, please subscribe to this podcast. For more information, visit laurielawrence.com.au.